words that shadow, foreshadow the birth of our Lord and Savior, Christ. So this morning, we have an opportunity and a privilege to hear from our brother uh, and pastor at Mosaic Church uh, over not too far away from us in the Northeast area. But Reverend, Right Reverend Russ Whitfield is with us this morning, dynamic preacher of the gospel. And uh, brother, it's been a privilege to get to know you and to hear from you as you've opened up God, God's word in other places other than Mosaic. So come on up and uh, thank you so much for being with us. morning everyone it is good to be here with the Meridian Hill family this morning I uh, got to kick off last week at our downtown congregation it was uh, it was a good start in many ways but I wasn't sure if it was gonna start off very well because as I was uh, on the drive down to downtown I had my my daughter Tiana riding down with me and I I asked her I said Tiana when's the last time that you were downtown, and she said, oh, Black Friday. I was like, Black Friday? You mean Good Friday? She's like, yeah, Bad Friday. I said, Good Friday. She's like, Good Friday. I said, what is it? Who's on first? What's on second? I don't know who's on third. So I am glad, and I kept saying this morning at downtown, so I'm glad to be worshiping at the right time on Sunday morning. That's a joke, y'all. That's a joke. But for real, it helps me because I say this morning. All right, so it is good to be with y'all this morning. I am so happy to be opening up. Uh, Exodus chapter 2 this morning, and if you would, uh, please pray with me before we get started. Father, we are thankful to be gathered together this morning as your beloved people. We are grateful for what we behold in the good news of Jesus coming for our rescue, and we pray that this morning you would open our hearts afresh. We pray that this morning would not be any ordinary time, but that, but that unexpected time where you do deep renovation in our souls, we pray that even now you would increase our expectations about what you can do in these next minutes. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to not just be hearers of your word, but doers of your word. Lord, we pray that you would take my five loaves and two fish and multiply them to feed your people. So we ask you to speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Bless this time to deepen us in the faith and to compel us to live it out beautifully, individually and corporately. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So you may be familiar with the fact that it's, it's somewhat commonplace now in, in modern-day business transactions to talk about the idea of getting rid of the middleman. The idea is that you can get your content more quickly and more cheaply if you get rid of the middleman. I mean, think about it. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be nice if you could go and get a vehicle without having to deal with a salesperson, to have, having to haggle with the salesperson? That'd, that'd be kind of nice, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be nice if you could go and get your morning coffee without having to pay an extra five bucks at Starbucks. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be nice? Get it straight from the source. Colombia, gloria a Dios. Uh-huh. It'd be nice to cut out the middleman. But I was reading an article here recently in Forbes magazine. You know I'm an up-and-comer like that. I read Forbes. Uh, 
<laughs> but I was reading an article in Forbes magazine, and the, the title of the article was this. Don't eliminate the middleman. He's much too valuable. And in this article, Bill Connerly is reviewing a book by Marina Krakowski in which she makes the case for the middleman. In this book, she makes the case that the middleman is more important than you realize. The middleman has a more important function than we, we tend to give credit for. And so her book, entitled The Middleman Economy, makes the case for the middleman, this intermediary, by laying out a couple different kinds of functions that this middleman serves. And she gives them each titles. There's the bridge, the certifier, the risk bearer, the concierge, and the insulator. Let me lay those out for you. She talks about the middleman who serves as the bridge. And the bridge spans physical and social distance to connect us to a product. The certifier ensures the quality of the goods or services that we receive. The risk bearer personally takes the risks involved in connecting us to a service. The concierge reduces the time and cost of a transaction. And the insulator makes difficult requests that we cannot easily ask for ourselves. Don't cut out the middleman. They're much too valuable is the message Bill Connerly would have us think of. And as I've thought about that idea, I've thought a lot about modern day spirituality. And in, in modern day spirituality, there is this uh, there is this smuggling of the idea of cutting out the middleman, isn't there? People want to have this ethereal, sort of mystical connection with the divine. But the message of the Christian faith, if you wanted to trace the story of the Christian faith, you could say that the entire theme of the Christian faith is this. Don't cut out the middleman. He's much too valuable. Don't cut out the middleman. There is no hope for connecting with God Without him, the middleman, the mediator, Jesus Christ, is the one who is able to, to bridge the span that exists between us and God. If you were to take the words of the Apostle Paul, he would, he would slide this right into the center of the gospel message and say, there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. And so as Pastor Yancey said earlier on in this service, we are going to be continuing to work through this idea of Jesus as our mediator. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to leverage the Old Testament birth narratives to shine the light on different facets of Jesus as our mediator. Because y'all know that the whole story of Scripture belongs to Jesus. It's all about him. It all heads to him. It all flows from him. It's, it's all for his glory. The story and all of its facets is meant to lead us to appreciate and trust in Jesus as our mediator. So today we are going to frame up the big picture of our Advent series in the birth narrative of Moses in Exodus chapter 2. And we're going to approach this text through two points where we see the context of the mediator and the calling of the mediator. I want to focus our attention on the context of the mediator and the calling of the mediator. And I want you to see right off the bat, here are the cards on the table. 
if you understand the context of the birth of Moses, and if you understand the calling of Moses, you will then be prepared to appreciate more deeply what Jesus has done for us as our mediator and who he is for us as our mediator. That's where we're going, all right? So let's look at our first point as we consider the context of the mediator. And before we get going hard on this point, I want to drop in and say a few things about the idea of a mediator. There is one office in our theological tradition that Jesus occupies in spades, and that is the office of mediator. But that office is expressed in three particular ways as you follow the story of Scripture. For Jesus to be the mediator is for him to be our prophet, our priest, and our king. It's a threefold office. It's three expressions of one office, and that is to say this. As prophet, Jesus executes his prophetic role in a priestly and kingly way. He executes his priestly role in a prophetic and kingly way. And he executes his kingship in a prophetic and priestly way. There is a unity to the way in which Jesus embodies this office of mediator. Put another way, as you're reading through the story of the Old Testament, and you're hearing about prophets, and you're hearing about priests, and you're hearing about kings, one of the things you realize is that those people only occupied that one expression. You couldn't be a king and a priest and a prophet. You, there was no one who was big enough to really live up into that calling. But in Jesus, it takes those three expressions and a whole host of other images to capture all that he is. He's too weighty. He's too important. His value is too significant. We can't really get our minds around it. So you have to take these three offices to really appreciate that central role that he plays for us. Let me put it this way. As prophet, he clearly proclaims redemption. As priest, he graciously obtains redemption. And as king, he authoritatively completes redemption. He's our mediator. As prophet, he speaks for God. As priest, he leads us to God. And as king, he unites us with God. He is our mediator. But we have to appreciate during this Advent season the context of the mediator and the birth narrative of Moses helps us in this way. When we turn to the birth narrative of Moses, born crying just like that, y'all, that, 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 was, that was the spirit helping us right there. <laughs> little Noel just wanted to add a little accentuation to the sermon. We planned that beforehand. High five, girl. <laughs> Before you can appreciate what's really going on in the birth narrative of Moses, you have to understand the context. And if you look back to Exodus chapter 1, you begin to appreciate the context in which Moses is born. Israel was a people oppressed and burdened under the yoke of slavery. Chapter 1 of Exodus tells us that Pharaoh set taskmasters over the Israelites, quote, to afflict them with heavy burdens. The text tells us that the Egyptians ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service. Bitter with hard service. If you think it's hard working on the hill, if you think it's hard working 
as an attorney downtown, if you think it's hard working in the local church, think for a moment on God's people, afflicted with heavy burdens, living lives that were made to be bitter with hard service. Israel is yearning for release from slavery. They are longing to be free from the tyranny, the oppression, and the, the, the brutality of living under this oppressive regime. They want to be free from captivity. They want to be set loose. And this is being told in the narrative of Exodus chapter 1. And when you think things could not be worse, all of a sudden they take a turn for the unthinkable. Because we learn toward the end of chapter 1 that when things cannot be worse, the king of Egypt institutes a diabolical plan in which he wants to kill all of the baby boys of Israel. Think about that. There is a governmental edict that tells all of the Egyptians to take responsibility for snuffing out the lives of little baby boys among the Israelites. It's, it's unthinkable. It's unthinkable to imagine the way in which this came down upon the people of Israel. The final verse of chapter 1 gives us the chilling summary. All right, listen to this. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile River. This is the context of the story leading up. So when we come to the birth narrative of Moses, the mediator, we find that the narrator is setting us up in such an incredible way. I want you to see what he's doing here. By setting the birth narrative of Moses in this context, he's showing us the way in which the mediator is uniquely suited to be the mediator because he is able to live in solidarity with the people he's going to serve. The context of the mediator shows us that he's uniquely suited to be their mediator because he is living in solidarity with them. He was born into the conflict of his people. He was born amidst the fears of his people. He was born under the evil tyranny, abusive power, and oppression of his people. He was born under the same death sentence as his people. All those little Hebrew boys who had a death sentence hanging over their head while Moses entered in and shared that same death sentence with those he was going to represent. But the birth of Moses is meant to break through the despair of Exodus chapter 1. The birth of Moses is meant to be, by the, by the narrator, he is intending for the birth of Moses to be light in the darkness. This, is, this telling is meant to show you that though Egypt may be horrible, though the conditions may be insufferable, Egypt will not last forever. The hard circumstances of that place, they have an expiration date. 
So when Moses' mother cannot hide him any longer, the text tells us that she takes him down to the Nile to put him in a little basket that she's made for him. And she's, she's, she's going to push him off into the danger. Think about that. Think about that. Through this, the tears are streaming down her face as she's making this little basket to put her newborn son into. And she's going to put that basket into the Nile. And she's, she's weeping as she does it. And that little basket begins to float. Crocodiles are all in the Nile, y'all. It's dangerous. It's a dangerous place where she sends her son. And then as baby Moses is floating along, sister is walking along the side, bated breath. What is going to happen to her? She's watching. I mean, you can, you can sense the tension rising up in the narrative. And then all of a sudden, baby Moses lands with Pharaoh's daughter. What's she going to do? She has compassion. So this context, right? You see, you're seeing the context of the story falling in. And Moses, how he emerges from the context of the story. Moses lives in solidarity with the people, experiencing the same kinds of things. He comes in with the same death sentence over his head. And he now is put into the same instrument of death as his people. But what we're going to see is Moses is the kind of mediator that though he goes into the same instrument of death, he's the only one who's going to emerge alive. He emerges from the Nile alive, if you will. The Nile won't be the end of his story. He emerges from the death trap. Though he was a common Israelite, He's adopted into the royal family of Egypt. Now, do you see, are you beginning to see how this narrative prepares us for the true and better mediator, Jesus Christ? When we fast forward to the opening of the New Testament, we meet another who was uniquely suited to be mediator because he lived in solidarity with the people he came to serve. Because Jesus was born into the conflict of his people. Jesus was born amongst the fears of his people. Jesus was born under the evil tyranny, abuse of power, and oppression of his people. He too lived as an oppressed Jew in a Roman society. He too was overtaxed and underrepresented. Don't feel bad, D.C. folk. That was taxation without representation. Jesus, too, was born with the same death sentence hanging over his head. Do you remember how evil Herod was when he determined to have all the little boys killed looking for this Jesus figure? But even more so, Jesus is going to have a far more brutal death sentence hanging over his head, and that is the death sentence that hangs over the head of every sinner who stands guilty before a holy God. He's born under the death sentence. And you have to appreciate the fact that as the narrative is drawing you in 
to the pain of a mother letting go of a son, that only begins to scratch the surface of what must have been going through God the Father's heart when he sent his son into this world to be brutally treated, rejected, and despised on the pursuit of love. <laughs> you can imagine Moses' mother reluctantly letting go of her child, but the scriptures tell us that God the Father freely and lovingly gave us his son. It is astonishing to think about it. And as Moses' sister walks along the side of the Nile, wondering what's going to happen to him, we get a picture of all of heaven looking in on the Son of God coming into this world. I love how our hymns, they, they put it so well during this time. You know, it, the picture of the angels and the heavenly beings astonished as they watch the Son of God taking on human flesh. It's like all of heaven is breathless. Cannot imagine what is taking place here. And guess who are the only ones who remain apathetic about it? Human beings. I love the picture in that hymn, Let All Mortal Flesh Keep Silence. It says, Rank on rank the host of heaven spreads its vanguard on the way as the light of light descendeth from the realms of endless day that the powers of hell may vanish as the darkness clears away the vanguard of heaven it's like all of the heavenly beings line up and they create that alley as the light of light descends and they can't even process it they have seen the love eternal that has existed between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit from eternity past. They know the beauty of his glory, and this glory is going to be veiled in human flesh for them? This is astonishing. They can't wrap their minds around it. And that's why, that's why it's so important that we pause every year to think on this Advent story. To think on this story that God's love is this kind of love. It's this quality of love that he's willing to give like this. I love this narrative, this context, because as Moses went into the instrument of death, the Nile, and he was the only one to emerge alive, so Jesus went to that instrument of death called the cross, and he emerges alive but here's the beauty. This is how he's a true and better mediator. He doesn't emerge for himself alone. He becomes the trailblazer that shows us how to emerge from death into life eternal. Jesus, as it were, enters into death and he punches a hole in the back of the grave so that we pass through it but out of it. We emerge alive because he did. And this is amazing. Moses was an ordinary Hebrew adopted into the royal family. 
But Jesus was divine royalty adopting ordinary sinful humanity. He flips it. This is the context of our mediator. And as we think about this, at the very least, we have to appreciate that solidarity saved our souls. So that must mean that as his people, we should be looking to live in solidarity with those who are suffering in this world. We should be seeking to live in solidarity with those who are afflicted in this world, those who suffer injustice in this world. If Jesus had taken our approach, where would we be? They need to, they need to pull themselves up. If they work hard like me, then they'll be okay. Jesus doesn't leave it on us. He takes responsibility for our well-being. He feels with us. He suffers with us. He becomes an advocate for us. He gets into the messiness that we have created so that he could bring his goodness into the midst of our badness. He lifts us up in that way as our mediator. That's the context of the mediator. And we see this in the story of Moses and his birth. But we also see the calling of the mediator in this text. And that brings us to our second point where we see this, this additional layer, the calling of the mediator. Just like the story of the birth of Moses injects hope and light into the despair, so the birth of Jesus injects hope and light into the despair of this world. It lets us know that this is not going to be the end of the story, that sin, death, and a world racked with division is not the final word. That is not the final destination. But as we follow the story of Moses a little further, what we see is his calling. And his calling comes in his name. Do you see that in the text? If you look at Exodus, the, the final part, there's something ironic that happens. You know, hipsters aren't the first people to be ironic, all right? The text is used in irony here. Isn't it ironic that when the daughter of Pharaoh gets Moses back, she says, oh, I got a name for you. I'm going to call you drawn out. Drawn out. Now, there's lots of scholarly, scholarly debate about the meaning of Moses' name. Some people take the tact that this, this comes from, you know, this is Egyptologists. They take the tact that Moses' name was a common name that was given to the children of royalty. And it basically means son of God. Other people say, no, nah, this is reflecting the Hebrew text. And the, it relates to the Hebrew verb to be drawn out. All right. Either way you take it, we win because he is the son of God who's coming. And he is the one who's going to draw his people out. That's the designation that's hung on Moses by the daughter of Pharaoh. I'm going to call you drawn out. And that's exactly what his calling is going to be. Do you see that? This is what the calling of Moses is going to mean as the mediator of Israel. He was indeed called to draw God's people out of Egyptian slavery. He was called to confront and defeat their oppressor. He was called to provide refreshment for God's people on the journey home. He was called to provide nourishment for God's people on the, on the pilgrimage. Do you remember these stories, right? Water coming from a rock, bread from heaven, 
you know, the quail from heaven. This all happened via the mediator. He was the one who went to God on the behalf of the people. And it was because of his mediation that they experienced these things. He was called to mediate the covenant between God and his people. Do you remember when Moses went up the mountain of Sinai? He goes up and he gets the law. And you have to understand, don't, don't think of the law in a, in a purely uh, a legal way. Law, Torah, Hebrew, means the way. He was coming down to bring them the regula regulatory principle of their community. This is the way y'all are supposed to live together. This is the way you're supposed to honor one another and the Lord. This is the way you're supposed to live in the midst of the nations. This is the way you are to think about worship. This is the way you're to think about community. This is the way you are to think about your own life. This is the way he mediates the covenant. He was called to teach the people how to worship the Lord. He was called to plead God's mercy on their behalf when they fell into idolatry. I mean, we can't even get out of the pages of the book of Exodus before the people start messing things up royally. They just, now look, I'm, I'm saying, if you see the plagues that God brought, and then he starts bringing bread out of heaven and water out of rocks, and you start seeing him show up in a thunderstorm, stormy glory, lightning flashing and thunder, it's your next logical sequence to say, okay, and now I'm going to do exactly what that God told me not to do. That don't make no kind of sense. That's illogical. It doesn't make any sense, but it shows you that our affliction is much deeper than our rationality. There is something internal to us that is broken, but he, Moses, intercedes for these people. And it shows you the role that he plays. He was called to plead God's mercy on their behalf. He was called to establish the dwelling place of God among the people. That's what he did. He told them, this is what you have to do. And if you do this, if you build this tabernacle in this way, God will dwell in your midst. He mediates that. He tells them what they're supposed to do to get God's presence in their midst. He was the one with whom, the Bible says, God spoke face to face so that he could communicate to the people on the Lord's behalf. These are Moses' final words before he dies in Deuteronomy chapter 33, verses 26 through 29. This is what it says. This is when Moses gathers the people together. These are his final words. This is what he says to them. There is none like God, O Jeshurun, who rides through the heavens to your help, through the skies in his majesty. The eternal God is your dwelling place, and underneath are the everlasting arms. And he thrust out the enemy before you and said, destroy. So Israel lived in safety. Jacob lived alone in a land of grain and wine whose heavens dropped down dew. Happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord, the shield of your help and the sword of your triumph. Those are the final words of the mediator, Moses, before he dies. And I want you to see how this is preparing us. Because just as the name Moses drawn out 
would represent his calling as mediator. So when we look to the gospel of Matthew in chapter 1, verse 21, the angel tells Mary and Joseph, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus, Yeshua, Yahweh is salvation. That's the name that Jesus has, and that is the calling that Jesus executes for us because he was called to confront and defeat our oppressor. Sin, death, guilt, shame. All of those evil tyrants that try to invade and rule our lives, that tell us that we don't have permission to rest, that tell us that we don't have permission to be average and mediocre, that tell us that we always have to be awesome, that we always have to be amazing, that everything has to be superb, that we basically have to live like our Facebook projections. He came to set us free. He was called to not only provide refreshment for God's people, he was called to become the refreshment of God's people. He was called to become nourishment for God's people. That's why he said, I am the bread of heaven. I am the living water. He was called to mediate the covenant. But here's the beautiful thing. Moses went up the mountain and he came back down with a law. But Jesus, when he ascended, when he rose from the grave and he ascended back to the Father, he doesn't send stone tablets down to his people. He sends his spirit down to show them the kind of life they are to live, to organize the community, community around a different set of principles, to show us how we're to live, how we're to think, how we're to feel, how we're to love, how we're to serve, how we're to be neighbors, how we're to be parents and friends, workers. He sends down a different organizing principle as the mediator of a new and better covenant. He was called to teach us how to worship the Lord. When we look at the life of Jesus, it is a life of perfect worship. But not only does he teach us how to worship the Lord, he does the work in our hearts that compels us to actually worship him. He doesn't just tell us what we ought to be. He empowers us to become it. I always loved saying this quote by this old school theologian named B.B. Warfield. He said this. He said, if Jesus were just our example, he would show us what we ought to be but could never become. If he were a mere example. You know how some people like that say, I, I like the teaching of Jesus. He's a good example to follow. Warfield says, if he's only your example, he shows you what you should be. And at the very same time, what you could never become. But because Jesus is our mediator, he not only shows us what we should be, but what we shall be by grace. We are not what we used to be, and we're not yet what we're going to be, but he's at work in our lives. And one day, this perishable will put on the imperishable. This body that is fading will become incorruptible. That's the hope that this mediator brings. He pleads God's mercy on our behalf time and again when we're guilty of idolatry, most recent vintage political kinds of idolatry. He pleads our case. He stands at the right hand of the Father. No, he sits at the right hand of the Father because his work is done. That's what Hebrews says. All the other priests used to minister and they would stand and they would be doing the work in the tabernacle, in the temple, because their work was never done. But the writer of Hebrews tells us that after Jesus made sacrifice for sins, he sat down. He was enthroned. And that was the vindication. That was the validation that his sacrifice was enough. 
so you can stop trying to make the sacrifices that you think will make you right with God. Stop trying to do the things that, that Jesus has already done for you and live out of that good news of grace. That's a different way of living. Jesus was the one with whom the Father spoke face to face. And in Jesus, we can meet God face to face ourselves. There is an immediacy now that is offered to us. So the, the message is this. Don't get rid of the middleman. He's much too valuable. Don't get rid of the mediator, Jesus Christ. He is much too valuable. The final words of Moses show us who our mediator is, that God has indeed been the one who rides through the heavens and yet comes to earth to be our help, to be our salvation. Who is a people like us, saved by the grace and mercy of God in Christ? <laughs> that is astonishing. So the question that we have to ask, friends, is what would it look like for us to be the kind of community that is shaped by the mediation of Jesus? What would it look like for us to be a community of mediators? Because we have such a great mediator. It would look like tutoring, so keep up the good work there. It would look like lawyers doing pro bono work for those who can't afford the help. It would look like using whatever gifts and training and skills and abilities you have for the benefit of the other, for the benefit of those that God has placed in your path, and even for those who don't seem to have been placed in your path, but they're near, not stepping over anybody to get to somebody that's more like you, but extending the grace and mercy of God. Listen, he's the prophet, the priest, and the king. That means that to be a mediator, you have to speak. You have to speak the words of God to the people, the truth and grace Truth and grace, grace and truth. You lose one, you ruin the other. It would be taking on a priestly role. I'm going to take responsibility to give what I can, to do what I can, to say what I can, to encourage and help however I can, to try and create a connection between that person and God. I'm gonna do whatever I can. That might be acts of service and love, that might look like a good listening ear for a lonely neighbor. It may look like meals that show up for families having babies. <laughs> Just give them praise right now. It can look any number of ways. But the question is, how are you going to pray this into your life? It, it might look like a kingly role. Yeah, that might sound weird, but here's what that means. We are going to lead in loving this place. We are going to lead in seeking reconciliation between warring groups. Don't tell me there's not that here in this place. I'll just get throw one down, gentrification. Ding, ding, ding. Let's get ready to rumble. What kind of role does Meridian Hill play in trying to create peace, peacemaking? It would be a beautiful thing for this community to continue to play a mediatorial role in this place because we have experienced the mercies of our great mediator. To wrap up, to close, I will use the words that I used in the very beginning from author Marina Krakowski. 
when she talks about the middleman economy, and I will tell you that the gospel economy is a middleman economy in which our mediator, Jesus Christ, is the bridge who spans physical and social distance to connect us to God. He is the certifier who ensures the quality of the righteousness and atonement that we need. He is the risk bearer who, who personally took the risks in order to connect us to God. He's the concierge who doesn't just reduce the time and cost of our redemption. He eliminates it, and he says, today is the day of salvation. The cost has been paid. Come, you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Buy wine and milk without money and without cost. And he's the insulator who makes difficult requests for forgiveness on our behalf when we couldn't even ask for ourselves. If you were to one day, when you one day stand before God and you see him in all of his glory and you see yourself for who you really are, you would not have the courage to lift up to God the request, make me new, let me in. It will be clear to everyone on that day that they do not deserve the smallest favor from God. But Jesus intercedes on behalf of his people. He presents the request. If I could put it this way, my, my two-year-old son speaks some foreign language now. I have no idea what this kid is saying. But my oldest daughter, Tiana, is his translator. And so he'll be like, and I'm like, what? And Tiana's like, he said he wants more cereal. And I'm like, what? Where did you get that out of that? You see, that's what the Holy Spirit does with your prayers. Your prayers to the Father be like, and the Spirit takes the thing, makes them right. And he said, he wants to live a holy life, Father. He wants, he wants to love his neighbors, Lord. And Jesus intercedes on your behalf. This is what it means to have a mediator. Let's be a mediatorial community that seeks to reconcile and produce peace so that people may see who God is for us in the gospel. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your deep love and giving your son to us. We are grateful to be recipients of your grace. We are grateful to have been loved by you in such a rich way. And we ask that you would help our hearts to perceive it. Help our hearts to absorb and digest this so that we may live this out more beautifully in our lives. We pray that you would help us to trust and believe in the work that you have done for us. And we pray that you would help us to repent in all the appropriate ways for the for not believing, not trusting, not embracing the work that you have done for us. So we ask that you make us new. We pray that you energize us afresh. And we pray that you would help us to take another step forward in maturing. Help many of us to take another step down the path of discovering spiritual things and working through issues of life and faith. We pray together as your community, Lord, that you would meet all of our friends in here no matter where they're at on a spiritual spectrum this morning. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good response to the sermon. And I'm really touched by Pastor Wes's words. I think something that really resonated with me was God's glory was veiled in human flesh for us. And our King Jesus did not come on earth born in a palace, but to 